Well, I had a full-blown panic attack that morning because I had already gone through so much those weeks leading up to this that I had hit my breaking point. And so I called my dad in just absolute hysterics asking, what do I do? Because I cannot pay this $6,000 today and I have to have my surgery on Monday. Welcome to Speak Up For Your Health. I'm your host, Dr. Arkel Giorgio. In this podcast, I have conversations with patients about how they found their voice, figured out how to advocate for themselves, and finally got the medical care they needed. The stories you'll hear are real and relatable, and most importantly, give you the courage to speak up the next time you're getting care. Nearly three quarters of U.S. adults, 73%, say that the healthcare system is not meeting their needs. But the biggest complaints aren't about the quality of care being received. It's about the extraordinary amount of bureaucracy and hoops you have to jump through to just get things done. Today's guest faced barrier after barrier before finally getting the surgery she needed. She did everything right, but there are a few moments where a little extra knowledge may have sped things up or at least decreased her stress. So in the episode, we'll hear Kelsey tell her story, and I will periodically pop out with some editorial comments and tips that you can use if you ever face the same head-banging challenges that she did. Enjoy the show. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining me on Speak Up For Your Health. You had just a frustrating situation that started last August regarding how you were navigating the medical system and all of the bureaucracy. But before we jump into those details, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, how old you are, where you live? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name's Kelsey. I am 27 years old. I am originally born and raised in Boise, Idaho. I now live in Queens, New York, and I work as a paralegal for childhood sexual assault cases out in the city here. Wow. Well, thank you for all of that. Maybe we'll do another podcast on that at another (laughs) time. Kelsey, before we jump into all that frustration, paint a picture for us about what was going on in August that triggered you seeking some medical care. I started having some abnormal sharp shooting pain in my right side. It was around the time of my cycle that month. And so I normally get pretty bad cramps that are painful. And so it was kind of hard for me to differentiate the pain that I was having and whether it was related to my cycle or whether it was something that I needed to be concerned about. And the pain started getting so bad and it remained after the end of my cycle that I decided I need to go see a doctor. I need to see what's going on here. I also dove deep into Google on what right side pain is and they were telling me all these different things. And so I ultimately decided, all right, it's time to go to a doctor and get this pain checked out. And you went to urgent care. What happened when you went there? Yeah, I went to the urgent care right next to my house and they took some blood tests. They did a urinalysis and everything came back clear. There wasn't an infection or any bacteria. And so based on my symptoms and the test results that had come back, they concluded that there was maybe something going on with my gallbladder and referred me to go get an ultrasound to see what was going on further with that. Okay. So sounds like things are going pretty smooth at this point. You go get the ultrasound. 
And then what were the results? I got the ultrasound the next day. And then it was a day or two afterwards that I got a call with the results. And they told me that they had seen something in my gallbladder. They weren't quite sure if it was gallstones or sludge balls, which I think is like a buildup of calcium, which the the term sludge balls in the medical field, I was like, no, we are not saying I have sludge balls. Like we are going to stick with gallstones if that's what it is. But they told me that I had three options at that point based on what they had seen, which was I either can get a referral to get an MRCP, which is, I think, a form of an MRI to see what was going on further so that they could clearly identify what it was. I could either have a referral to go see a surgeon immediately to get my gallbladder removed or have a consult for that. Or I could go to the ER if I was in excruciating pain. And so I wasn't in excruciating pain. And so I opted for the MRCP because I didn't know what it was. So just listening to that story, this isn't even what the worst part of it is. We'll get there. But I just don't understand telling a patient that they have these three different options without clearly explaining what the pros and cons are of each one. So did they just cite off that list for you of these are your options or did they talk through with you why you might want to pick one over the other? Oh no, they did not talk it through with me. They basically gave me those three options and said, you can choose. And so I sat there and I kind of broke down process of elimination. I wasn't in excruciating pain. So I wasn't going to go to the ER and I didn't want to be dealing with an ER bill at that point. And I didn't know if I needed surgery yet because no one had given me information on what was actually going on. I didn't have a definitive answer. So I opted to do the MRCP so that we could get more definitive answers on what was happening since they weren't able to actually tell me what it was. They just told me based on the ultrasound, this is what we think it might be. And so I didn't want to go for the two more severe routes as opposed to then just getting more answers was what I wanted to do it first. I would have suggested the very same thing. So you, you did a great job. <laughs> I think that was the right decision. That's what I would have recommended. So you decided that you wanted to get this MRCP and what was the process for getting that? And you are correct that an MRCP is a specialized kind of MRI that looks at the gallbladder and the pancreas and all of the different ducts that D-U-C-T-S, ducts that are surrounding it to look at whether or not there are gallstones that are not only in the gallbladder, but in the ducts themselves. So what happened next? That's where all of the trouble began for me is because I had someone call me from the imaging department who had done my ultrasound and gave me those three options. And so I had opted for the MRCP, but when it came down to me trying to get the actual order so that I could actually get it done, the order seemed to be lost. No one was able to tell me that I needed an MRCP. No one could find my ultrasound results. And I spent so much time trying to just get an order for the MRCP so that I could go and schedule the imaging, which never happened. How many phone calls do you think you made and how long did you spend on the phone trying to get this done? Oh gosh, I definitely made over 
seven to 10 phone calls. And I made a little diary of what was going on. And after calculating all the minutes I had spent on the phone, I had spent over 230 minutes over the course of two and a half days speaking to people trying to get this order. And no one could find my order. No one could find my ultrasound results. No one could tell me what was going on. Do you have any idea what fell through the cracks? I mean, besides the frustration, what a waste of time for everyone. I still don't know, but if I could take my best guess, I think it was a complete lack of organization and communication between the imaging department and the urgent care facility because it was the urgent care facility that had referred me to the imaging department. And the imaging department should have been sending my ultrasound results back over to the doctor at urgent care. I was just being tossed back and forth between the two being told, oh, well, you need to call the imaging place. And then the imaging place telling me, oh, you need to call city MD, which was the urgent care that I had been seen at. And each one did not have a clear answer for me and did not know how to handle the situation. And then you had just about had it. I remember talking with you on the phone. And then what did you do next? Yeah, I was losing my mind because I was still in pain and I just wanted to get answers on what was going on. And I wanted to avoid going to the ER so badly that I did call back and I got some cranky lady that morning that did not want to hear it. And when I told her, well, Urgent care told me I need to call you guys. And she goes, well, I have your results here. And I was like, great, can you please email them to me? And she was like, okay, what's your email? Told me that she would email them to me. And about five hours passed and I never got the results emailed to me. So I ended up going in person later that afternoon and I brought my fiance with me. And I walked in and she was like, oh, you're Kelsey. You're the person I spoke to on the phone this morning. And I'm like, yes, please give me my results. And so she ended up printing them right then and there. And I got them. But I had also gone through a formal process of actually requesting my records online because no one had my actual images. They just had the write-up of the report, but no one could find my images anywhere. So at this point, you had the written report which is pretty descriptive, but you didn't have the images, the x-ray images of the ultrasound, which ultimately any other surgeon or specialist is going to want to see so that they can interpret it themselves. So you would put in a formal request for that. Let's stop here for a second. In retrospect, do you just wish you would have gone in person to start? And is that an important lesson learned? Absolutely. I wish I would have known earlier and I wish that someone would have just said, go in person and get them because it wasn't until the last call that someone had mentioned that to me. I felt that calling was the easiest. I'm busy. I have work. So I wished that I had gotten more communication over the phone before it got to the point where I did have to go in person. But in hindsight, my proximity to the actual location that I had gotten the imaging done, I wish I would have gone in sooner. But I was also given a lot of false promises that, oh, it's being sent to you. It's being sent to you. Someone's going to give you a call back in 30 minutes. Someone's going to give you a call back before the end of the day. And then I would get distracted with my work and my job and everything else I had going on. I'm like, it's going to get sent to me today. I don't need to get in the car and drive over there to pick it up. But in hindsight, yeah, now I wish I did just show up. (laughs) So, you know, it is perfectly reasonable to think that you were going to get it electronically. It is perfectly reasonable for you to think that. But the reality is that the system is so complex 
The system is so disorganized that while it's reasonable, it's not always realistic. And if you've tried once or twice, sometimes the next best step is to just show up because a squeaky wheel will get things done. And that's a compliment to you. You know, you're a paralegal, (laughs) you get things done. And, you know, in all of these heavy cases that you deal with, but you also have to be a squeaky wheel when you're advocating for yourself. And you did that successfully. Showing up in person ended up working for Kelsey, but it's possible that she may have gotten better traction on the phone if she had demanded access to her results and cited the 21st Century Cures Act. This law went into effect on April 5th, 2021, and requires that patients have immediate electronic availability to nearly all test results, medication lists, and clinical notes. This means that you might see test or x-ray results before your doctor even sees them and can explain what they mean. And yes, the theoretical risk is that you could misinterpret the results and get anxious. But actually, studies show that 96% of people prefer to get their results immediately, even if they're abnormal and even if they don't know how to completely interpret them. All right. So we've gotten this far. You have your ultrasound results. What was the next step that you were going to take? I guess back to the first three options that I was given was the either you go to the ER, you see a surgeon, or you get the MRCP. So at that point, I had just been trying to get the MRCP. And one of my last phone calls, they said, you should have never been offered an MRCP as a result of the ultrasound. They were like, they should have referred you to a gastroenterologist to go see first, and they would review the ultrasound, and then they would ultimately be the ones to determine whether or not you needed further testing, such as an MRCP, or if you needed to just go straight for surgery. So the urgent care, they did send me a list of gastroenterologists, and I made an appointment either the same day or the next day after I had gotten my ultrasound results back. And I went and I waited in the waiting room for over an hour at this location, and I had seen about 10 to 12 patients that had come in after me be seen by the doctor. And I went up and asked the front desk about three times saying, hey, what's going on? And so I started to just get a bad feeling because I didn't want to be seen by someone that was affiliated with this urgent care anymore. And I walked out and I left and I wasn't seen there. And so then I ultimately went to do my own research and find a gastroenterologist in my insurance on my own. I had my ultrasound results at that point and just took it into my own hands. How did you pick the gastroenterologist that you ultimately saw? I just searched online for gastroenterologists in my area. I asked around with some of the people in my circle on what, because I'm not from New York, so I don't know what the good hospitals are here. I don't know what, you know, if I'm going to a crappy hospital, if I'm going to like a hospital with a good reputation. And so I did some of my research specifically towards the hospitals that were recommended to me and which ones were in my insurance and then found a gastroenterologist. And I ultimately took the one that had the first available appointment so that I could get seen immediately. So it sounds like you went to that surgeon. That might've been a somewhat positive experience. You got in there and they saw you and they told you you need surgery, right? I think it was within five minutes, he read my ultrasound report and he was like, I see that it's 
possibly gallstones, sludge balls. I'm not also entirely sure what it is, but it's one of those two things. And if you're still in pain, you're going to need to just get it removed. He was like, if you let it sit for longer, it's not going to get better. And the only cure to this pain is getting my gallbladder removed. So you scheduled the surgery. It was about a week later. Yep. Yep. I had gone to the surgeon and then got the surgery scheduled for a Monday a week later. But the weekend before, there was another hiccup in the whole process. Yeah, because nothing can be easy, can it? (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. Oh my goodness. It's so hard. It's so hard. I've been trying to fix it for my whole career. (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, a domino effect. And I felt like it was the world, the universe was testing me that entire month. And so I had the surgery scheduled for Monday. I got a call on Friday morning from the billing department in the hospital saying that I needed to pay the $6,000 for my surgery because based on my insurance and what I had left on my copay, it was about $5,000 some dollars. And then New York, of course, adds on this five, $600 service tax. And so it was going to be $6,000 out of pocket for the surgery. And I was told that I needed to pay it by 4 PM. And this was Friday, the business day before my surgery, or I was not going to get my surgery on Monday. At first I was in shock and I was confused. And so I asked the lady on the phone if that was a hospital policy, because I've had surgeries before and I never have been told that I have to pay this now or I'm not getting a surgery. And she told me, yes, it's hospital policy and that it had to be paid by 4 p.m. or I wasn't getting it and to give her a call back if I had any questions and that my only other option would be is I can fill out a financial aid form of some sort, but regardless, it needed to be paid because that form wasn't going to be processed in time. You know, Kelsey, I've been in the industry for a long time and I've never heard of a hospital policy like that when an individual has insurance. So the only time I've seen the hospital take a credit card or want to deposit is when someone is completely uninsured because they want some level of reassurance that they're going to get paid for their services. Whether that's reasonable or not, that can be a discussion for another day. But I've never heard of that for an individual that has insurance. And you are absolutely fully insured. Even I mean, you have a deductible and you have co-payments, but you have good insurance through your employer. I've never heard of this before. Yeah. Once I made some phone calls to my insurance and I ended up getting it sorted through, I felt like I was being scammed. (laughs) I fully felt like it was a fishing expedition and I was getting scammed. Um, I think that the hospital preferred to have payment made, but it's not necessary and it's not required. And this lady that had called me was definitely just trying to get the payment out of me without actually fully informing me of the policies and completely misrelaying information to me. Who did you have to call to sort that out? Well, I had a full-blown panic attack that morning because I had already gone through so much those weeks leading up to this that I had hit my breaking point. And so I called my dad in just absolute hysterics asking, what do I do? Because I cannot pay this $6,000 today and I have to have my surgery on Monday. And it was to a point where my dad said, you need to call your insurance, but if this has to get paid, we will help you get it paid. And 
I luckily, which is surprising, got the absolute nicest lady on the phone from insurance, which who would have thought that a lady from insurance on the phone would have actually calmed me down with this entire mess because I would have never thought that. Um, she called me down. She said, that's not accurate. What you need to do is you need to tell the hospital that they need to bill your insurance before sending you the bill or making you make any sort of payments. And so she said, give them a call back and tell them to bill insurance first. And so then I went through the process of calling back the hospital and the lady on the phone that I spoke to after I spoke to insurance told me that that was entirely inaccurate. And she apologized so much on behalf of whoever had told me that. And I regret so much not asking for the lady's name who initially called me. And I never got it to report it, but the hospital ultimately told me that what she had informed me was inaccurate and that that shouldn't have been relayed to me. So kudos to you, Kelsey, for hearing information, knowing that it didn't sound right, knowing that it wasn't going to work for you and it was going to delay your care. And in the middle of a full-blown panic attack or anxiety or whatever you were experiencing, (laughs) you kept making phone calls to try to get to the bottom of it. So here's what's happening in the hospital environment. Hospitals are becoming more aggressive about asking patients, even patients with good health insurance, to pay their share of the tab up front. And that isn't illegal. But most contracts between health insurance companies and in-network providers prohibit hospitals or doctors from requiring payment of deductibles before care is provided. So... Hospitals can certainly ask for payment, and patients have the option to pay some or all of their deductible up front. But in most cases, in-network medical providers can't deny care if you can't or don't want to pay your deductible ahead of time. I want to bring some good news into this story. (laughs) So you went in for your surgery on Monday. How did it go? It was good. I didn't have any infections afterwards. It was a quick procedure, like 45 minutes long. The recovery after the gallbladder surgery, though, is not pleasant. (laughs) It is not a pleasant recovery, but the surgery itself all went smoothly and great, and I healed just fine. And yeah, ultimately, it was good. (laughs) Good. And then another interesting twist, which is a little bit more good news, is you got your medical bills after everything did get submitted to insurance. What was that bill? It ended up being $1,300, which is a large difference and a big gap in between the $6,000 that I was told I needed to pay. And so I'm so thankful that I had my dad that pushed me to call my insurance. I had insurance tell me and advise me what to do. And I had spoken to someone who was just compassionate and empathized with my situation. And ultimately, my bill was reduced almost $5,000, which is a significant difference. That's really great. When I listen to your story and I step back, we've talked about some of the takeaways that people could learn from. One is if you're really having trouble getting a copy of your records, show up in person. Hopefully somebody can avoid all of that by having access to complete medical records online anytime they need them. And this is a plug for if your healthcare system ever does give you access through a healthcare portal to your medical records to make sure you sign up for it, even if you don't think you need it at that moment. But if you don't have access and you're having a hard time, go show up in person. The second one is keep calling and 
asking questions if the answer that you're getting doesn't sound right. And so you did that, you got your surgery, your bill was much lower than you thought it would be. But I do have one question for you that I wonder if you could reflect on, which is that with your earliest symptoms that started back in August, you went to urgent care. And I wonder whether or not you've ever established a relationship with a primary care physician. So this completely changed everything for me because I'm from Idaho. And so I have my OBGYN in Idaho who has basically been acting as my primary care physician for several, several years now. And I see her once every year when I'm home and I need prescriptions or if I have any other issues, I call them and they will send in the prescriptions for me. And so I never thought that I needed to establish a primary care in New York, but immediately following this situation, I have now established a primary care in New York because I will be avoiding urgent care at all costs. And I do not want to have to go through this process again. So I have established a primary care in New York that I will be using if I have any of these issues. And I wish that I had established her before this had happened. (laughs) I, I am so glad you said that. I have three daughters of my own who are in their 20s, early 30s. And, you know, there is always a question mark, mom, do I really need a primary care physician? Yes, you really do need Mm -hmm. a primary care physician, (laughs) even if you're perfectly healthy because things come up and you don't want to get caught in the system and in that crosswind like you did, Kelsey. And so I'm really glad that you took that step. And hopefully that's going to be a good and seamless relationship and your records will be online and accessible to you. (laughs) But I hope that that all works out. One last question that I've asked everyone on this podcast, which is how have you taken what you've learned and that unpleasant experience that you just had and applied it to maybe other medical situations that you've faced where you needed medical care for a different reason? Definitely. I don't think that I take everything that is told to me initially as the definitive answer. I know what my rights are in the medical field a little bit better now in terms of access to my records and that I have a right to them and that you can't just withhold my records and I will go there, I will show up in person, I will get what I need done. And especially with that $6,000 bill, some people would have just paid that. Some people would have just paid that $6,000 because they needed to have the surgery. And I was lucky enough to have people around me to advise me to call my insurance and to call other people instead, because that could have been horrible. That could have been $6,000 out of my pocket that I ultimately didn't need to spend. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry that you went through all of that. It sounds like everything turned out beautifully, everything from your medical care, which is really important to that hassles all got addressed. And hopefully the way you've structured your care going forward, you're not going to have to jump through so many hoops to get the care that you want to need. Yeah. Get a primary care physician for sure (laughs) and avoid urgent care unless you have like strep throat or something that's really quick fix, but not something that you are really needing a referral to a different specialist for or testing for. (laughs) Yeah. Urgent care is good for a limited number of things, but (laughs) abdominal pain, see your regular physician. See your regular physician. Absolutely. All right. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I cringe when I hear stories like Kelsey's, and unfortunately, I hear them all the time. 
The reality is that the U.S. healthcare system is stretched thin and patients are bearing the brunt of it. Here are some key takeaways from Kelsey's story that may help if you find yourself in the vortex of bureaucracy. One, you have a right to all your medical records, including immediate access to your test results. If you're seen in urgent care, let them know they are required to share results with you as soon as results are complete. Two, don't use an urgent care as a substitute for having a primary care physician. While urgent care clinics are great for simple problems like sore throats and urinary tract infections, establishing a relationship with a regular doctor will assure some continuity. And make sure you enroll in and learn to use your health systems portal. This gives you access to your medical records all in one place, 24-7. And that's where the test you had this morning is likely to be posted by this afternoon. Test results rarely take more than 24 hours to be completed. Three, the contracts between your health insurer and in-network providers are designed to protect you. So if you have a concern, call the customer service number on the back of your card. They're there to help. And four, escalate. I hate to say it, but sometimes speaking up for your health means being a squeaky wheel and escalating your concerns. Thank you for listening in to this episode of Speak Up For Your Health. If you enjoyed it, I hope you leave a rating and review, recommend this podcast to friends and family, and share the link on social media. If you have your own story about finding your voice and advocating for yourself, share it with me. I'd absolutely love to hear it. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook. The links are in the show notes. Speak Up For Your Health is produced and edited by Jenny Lee Park and myself. Music is by Alex Tepper. Cover art is by Sean Sutton. Marketing and social media is by Shelby Epstein. 